us this morning. We're not your normal church. That's that's probably already evident. But I tell you one thing that you won't deny by the time you leave is that we believe in the power of God and we believe in the authority of Scripture. And I promise you that when life gets messy, I promise you these are the people that you want alongside of you. We may not be the sleekest or the most qualified, but when you need prayer, this is a place to be. We just had a police officer come in and say that there's a 14-year-old boy named Donovan that went missing from the yacht basin. And I believe it's only appropriate for us to pray. You know, when they come by and say, hey, have you seen this and... You know, and will you pray? I think it's our obligation at that point to be the people of God. So let's begin to pray right now. Father, you know exactly where Donovan is right now. And Father, I ask you to instruct and guide the hands of those in authority, the helicopters, the police officers on the ground. Father, those that are searching, I ask right now for you to guide them, direct them to the safe recovery of Donovan. We call this in Jesus' name. We declare this through the authority given to us as the children of God to invoke the authority of the name of God in the throne room of God. So Father, we know you are here with us today, hearing us when we pray. And we accept the responsibility of praying right now for the absolute safe return of Donovan back to his parents. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. As I have mentioned, Happy Father's Day. It is a special privilege of mine to have with me. This morning I had he and my dad, and earlier in the service I had my dad with me. My dad shaped my life as a man. He taught me character. He taught me how to be a man. He taught me the responsibilities of leading a family. For that I am thankful. Then he went above and beyond and taught me how to have a heart of a pastor. He showed me by example of living that in front of me every single day as he pastored. Then God took my life and partnered me with a guy that lived in Fort Myers and I lived way up in northwest Florida to a place where it was incredible because he's a little more technology savvy than I am so he literally set my computer up to look exactly like his so when I didn't understand what to do on the computer he would just say look on the right hand corner of your screen and we would talk scripture and he would pour into a young man and my dad taught me how to have a heart of a pastor but Pastor Tom taught me how to break scripture apart and learn how to study and it is my privilege and my honor to introduce to you one of my heroes of the faith. Will you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Tom Sturbins. on the top. I'm okay? Okay. 
then turn it up loud enough where a deaf guy can hear himself and I won't stand here and ask you if everything's all right. See, I know Matt for a long time. I know two things that I wouldn't say that if I was this close to him. He's very large, but he's far away and I can still outrun him even at 61, so I'm good. Um, it's an honor to be here. For those that have known me any time, you, I know I don't waste words. I may say a lot of them, but they're not wasted. And um, I, I mean them. We're, we're thrilled to be here just on, on a thousand levels that don't have time to go into this morning, um, just on a thousand levels to, to, uh, to be here and celebrate. And as Pastor David has graciously um, suggested that that we have any contribution to the great work of grace that's going on here right now in this fellowship is overwhelming and humbling and um, it's thrilling to be here <clears throat> my heart is full my wife has told me for 37 years of public ministry to not say that every time I walk up and preach say my heart's full and I said well I, you know, I guess it's better than walking up and saying good morning my heart is empty and I hope I have something to say before we're done so <laughs> You know, I, I, um, I love God. I love the Word of God passionately. And, uh, and so I'm sitting here deciding what to say or not to say. Um, first of all, uh, I am a worshiper, passionate worshiper by nature. I continue to look into God's Word. You know, not to find some little trick, something, or the next thing. I continue to look into God's Word to know God. And the reason that's important is because, um, see, Scripture said God is. He just is. And that's important. As a matter of fact, the first verse of Scripture that I can recall my mom ever teaching me to memorize, I don't know why it wasn't John 3.16. I'm sure she taught me that one first. But the first one I can remember is, um, is Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, semicolon, and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now that began to inform my particular theology and understanding of scripture because, see, the burning bush, God introduces himself and says, I am that I am. Hebrews 11:6 says the I am he is. And then Revelation 4:11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. All things exist because you are. So we have a God who said, I am, he is, he are. Now, I've moved to East Tennessee 16 years ago, and I found finally people that get that. <laughs> because the wrong tense of grammar is celebrated there. So if I were to say here, that we serve a God that said, I am, we said, he is, and Revelation said, he are, you'd say, well, that's wrong. In Tennessee, they wor it works, you know? So, do you understand that God are? Yeah, I just told somebody that last week, he are. Matter of fact, I said that about my dad, too. Um, but there's this God that just is. He doesn't evolve, he doesn't change, he's holy and complete. Us, on the other hand, we are in the constant state of becoming because we can never exhaust the capacity of an infinite God. Now that's a huge reality because you see, our faith is not a destination but a direction. 
Our faith is this continual direction moving forward and closer and more. And 2 Corinthians says we're being changed from glory to glory to glory to glory. And so I want to continue to know and peer into His Word and know Him more because He wants me becoming always. Is that not good news? That, that, that however we've been or whatever hang-ups we have or whatever issues are there, there's a transforming God working with us. We will never exhaust the potential of what He brings to us. How many are glad you can never use God up? I mean, that just is so cool to me. So I look into the Word every week. I would say every day would probably be an exaggeration, but every week there's something there that leaps out at me. In the last 10 days, I'm fascinated with a a little refracting poetic picture of worship in Colossians 3.16 that says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. With, with, with teaching, with, with wisdom, with teaching and wisdom. And then it says this, but it says admonishing one another. That word means to communicate just outside the brain. But how do we just communicate? Admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Watch this. It's just affected me. I get met with the worship team 10 days ago and said, we're going to change what we do. After 37 years of ministry, we're going to change because here's what I think. See, Psalms, and, and you dig into them, you can go find this. Psalms, the early church would sing the Psalms, and the Psalms are the testimonies of those who had come thousands of years before. The hymns for them were the current songs that were coming to fruition, being sung by the early church then about and to God. And then see, spiritual songs with a little s, I love Gordon Fee, he's influenced me more than any other writer or theologian. He argues for the point that 95% of the time when you see a little s, it should probably be a big one. That means that spiritual songs are not new agey, put our fingers in a circle and go, hum. No, they're songs where the Spirit of God moves through us. So watch what happens when you begin to worship. See, my wife sitting over there that Pastor David just finished talking about, she wasn't in the room, and I was telling you a story about, matter of fact, my sister said this yesterday at my mom's birthday celebration. They said she knows more about our mother than just, you know, anybody. She does. So if I started talking about her, I said, I would tell you genuinely, my wife is just the most amazing person. She's she just, I mean, really, on a thousand levels that I can talk to you about, I tell her that three or four times a week. Go to her and ask her. I say to her, you know, you're just the best person I know really is that. But if I'm telling a story about how she knows everything, just for instance, about my mom and her food and clothes and dress and medicine and this and that, and one time just knows everything about my mom. I mean, I was getting ready to buy her a pizza the other day and said, well, let's get this with Aunt. She says, she doesn't like that. I said, how do you know that? She says, I just know. I said, you sure she doesn't like mushrooms? No, she doesn't like mushrooms. She doesn't like green pepper and she doesn't like pepperoni. Any of what you're getting on there. I said, how could I have not known that? She says, I don't know, but it's the truth. But if she weren't in the room and she came walking into the room and I was still talking to her, I would say, hey, baby, let me tell you what I was just saying. And I would turn and start talking to her. I was telling them that you are. See, psalms are songs that we sing about. them. for instance, we, um, we could say, uh, he thought I was worth saving, so he came and changed my life. He thought I was worth keeping. I'm telling you the story of salvation. So he cleaned me up inside. He thought I was to die for. So he sacrificed his life. But see, Scripture says 
that when we begin to sing, God is enthroned upon the praises of his people. What that means is there's some sort of manifest sense of God coming into the room. Now, I get it that scripture says God goes before us, behind us, and encompasses us round about. But when we begin to worship, there is somehow an intensifying or a manifesting of his presence in a sense of thickness or palpability that wasn't here 10 minutes before. So what happens? You see, once you get into the room and you begin, and you begin to sing that, you can say... Um, he thought I was worth saving. And we can sing that. And all of a sudden he's enthroned. But in the same way when my wife walks into the room, suddenly things change. I'm not going to be saying, he thought I was worth I don't care about you anymore. Now he's in the room. And a psalm turns to a hymn that says, uh, I love sung about then we sing to him then he says now just stand back because you started singing about me and start singing through me now I'm going to flip the narrative in a spirit song and I'm going to sing right back through you to everybody in that room see watch and so when David's oh the Seeing the song sung to him gets him into the room. The song sung about him gets him into the room. Then we begin to sing him, and he says, okay, that's enough. Now let me give you the spirit song. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the night and one you sing about you get to sing too but when he gets into the room he says okay I've had enough of that now let's do what glory does and let me take my spirit and sing right back through you and what does it do it encourages scripture and strengthens one another with our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so here's what you need to do right now you need to turn to the person next to you and say you may not know it but my singing has already blessed your socks off far more than you know. Okay, get that? Unfortunately, I cannot say the same about Pastor David's dance. As he started praying for us to pray for him, as he speaks to the children, I prayed right there, Father, I pray that should he so effervesce, and his passion for you to do what he just did in dancing, that those children are not scarred for the rest of their life. <laughs> I, 
and that, but that's me, okay? It's Father's Day. Pastor David has set up the fact that this is a difficult day. We all get that. Uh, we're pressed on every side by culture to, to do or consider, and we consider everybody in the room. We get it that it's a tough day. That being said, I want to talk to you this morning about, uh, the, I want to title it Fathers of Mercy, okay? First thing I need to do is talk to you about that word for a second. The word mercy uh, shows up from the original term in the New Testament about 74 times. It's translated many different ways, but it, most of the time it comes straight across as mercy. If you read that word in context, there's something that's come to fascinate me. Listen closely. I believe uh, a working definition, my own extrapolated working definition for it, is mercy is the force of God refusing to join us in the identity that this world, that means our age, the influences, voices you've heard, everything you've experienced, and sin. The working definition for sin is sin is finding identity outside of God. So. Mercy is God refusing to join us in the identity that this world would impose upon us. See, I have about 23 words that I've worked on for 35 years. Tragically, I should have more to show for that length of study. Another working definition is confession. Confession is the point at which I embrace God's opinion of me above my opinion of me. So that's not confession. Try it out. Go look where it shows up in Scripture. The original term means to say the same thing as, say the same thing as who. The moment I agree with God in terms of his opinion about me, my current state, see, because sin is not just doing something wrong. Sin is falling beneath God's potential and capacity for our life. Even when we say things that are self-bashing and defeating, God says, no, I won't join you in that identity you've accepted about yourself, and we have a Listen, when mercy acts on us, we have a choice at that moment to respond in confession or not. That's all that happens. When God shows up and says, I refuse to join you in the identity you've accepted about yourself because here's what my word says about you and here's my plan. I can ignore that or I can say, God, I accept your opinion of me above my opinion of me and I repent of my opinion and I reject that in Jesus' name and I embrace mercy in Jesus' name. You see, these words, they work together. They're not just religious terms strung out there. They mean something. Turn to the places in Scripture. As a matter of fact, I've had a fun substitution process with those 74 locations. The mercy is the point at which God says no to adjoining us. Remember the blind men that cried out to him and said, Son of David, have mercy on us. Why would they make that request? I don't even know that they knew what they were requesting. Their identity was that they were blind. That's what their identity was when God walked up. That's the identity of a fallen world, fallen health, follow physicality, fallen physicality and anatomy, fallen social order. Uh, you know, everything that's listed in Romans uh, chapter 8, you know, narrow, uh, apparel, nakedness, distress, famine, death, war, divorce, all that stuff. Not got part of God's plan. So we come into these moments and they cry out and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. What does that mean? Well, God says, okay, I'll just take you at your word. I'm going to stop right here and refuse to join you in the identity that you've accepted about yourself. What was that identity? They were blind. So Jesus says, okay, I refuse to join you in your identity. Your identity's changed now. He walks away, and they didn't say, and he left behind the blind. Well, they're not blind anymore. Does anybody know their name? You know? They get what I'm talking about? An encounter with mercy shifts a fundamental... And he, then he would rebuke the Pharisees who didn't want to let Matthew come. Matthew 9, I think. Matthew, the tax collector, he wanted Jesus invited him to dinner. The Pharisees says, no, we don't want him in here. He's a skank. And these were the teachers. 
And so he said to the teachers, he says, you need to go and learn. That was an insult to rabbinical teachers. You need to go back and read Hosea. You need to go and learn what the word means when God said, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. Sacrifice was sort of this metonymical word representing this refined worship system that you sacrifice this, you don't do that on this day, and you don't do this, you don't eat that, touch this. And he says, you've totally missed the point. I've always wanted my priests and my teachers to be that voice that effectively walks up to a person and says, whatever identity you've accepted about yourself, I refuse to join you in that, and that is what God's about. Not exacting systems of artificial religious access to God, that if I keep this list of things, I'll be okay. Do you know the church today has too often become experts in describing the chains that bind people? Rather than just walking up and say, I refuse to join you in that identity. In the name of the living God, chains fall off. But we want to talk about, we, you know, okay, that's enough. That wasn't in my, my minutes, so let me move on. Father's Day. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. Timothy, disciple of, of Paul. In this passage, Paul identifies himself in a paternal role, spiritually speaking, more than any other single place. Opening verse to Timothy. My true child in the faith. So he takes this paternal posture towards Timothy. And he offers an introduction that really doesn't show up quite like this anywhere else. He says, now, to uh, my true child in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. Elsewhere, he would write about a father of mercies. I love that he picked this word mercy, and he needed it where it came to Timothy because Timothy was continually shy and timid to the point that it gave him stomach issues. And, and Paul would constantly encourage him. As a matter of fact, if you were to read uh, a second Timothy chapter 1, how powerful that is. Because you know one of our favorite verses, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Did you, you, did you notice the, uh, the, the plural pronoun used there? God hasn't given us. Back up the few verses before it and watch what a father does. He says, Timothy, here's the thing about you. But then he says, but I, you, I, but when he gets to that verse, but he says, son, Paul didn't struggle with fear or timidity. Trust me, if anything, the guy underestimates the force of his personality and probably needs to dial down narcissism just a bit, okay? So he says, but God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Do you see how that loving father reaches out and embraces that point of weakness and pain and accepts it on himself? He says, son, God hasn't given us that. Now watch the language right here. He said, I want to introduce you. He said, I want to remind you of this God of mercy, this God who says no. Let's skip ahead in verse 12. Watch how he opens this up because he mentions mercy two more times. In, in case it wasn't clear his intention in that verse, watch what happens. I thank God, Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 12, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. I love this. Even though I was formerly, here it comes, here's his identity, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. There's his identity, yet God showed up on the road to Damascus. Okay, I'm going to offer him Tom's free and liberal interpretation here, our translation. Yet I was shown the say no of God. I was shown the God that showed up and said, I refuse to join you in your identity as a blasphemer, persecutor, and violent aggressor. I refuse to join you in that. But Paul was so locked in, it took a little bit of encouraging. So God just flicked him off his donkey onto his backside and said, I need your full attention right here. 
How many thankful that mercy can encounter us pretty hard sometimes? See, we think of mercy as sort of God frosting, same way we use grace. God frost, you know, it's grace and mercy. Oh, they're so gracious. Oh, bless their heart. Aren't they so merciful? As if, as if mercy and grace in Scripture are some sort of divine uh, cosmic frosting that God spreads on top of sin to try and make it okay. I've said this for lots of years. Listen, listen. But frosting on horse poop, I don't usually say it this way, I'm saying it very nice. But you say, dude, you've been in Tennessee too long. Well, you got to do what you got to do. Come here, listen. Frosting on horse poop does not make it a cupcake. Take a bite and see. <laughs> now, that's, that, there, that there is just, you're going to walk away and say, I just heard some revelation straight from the throne of God. What was it about? Horse poop. Really? Unpack that one for me, bro. Check that one out Monday morning work over coffee. They're going to look at you like, okay, let's back away right now. Um, listen, mercy is not that. Mercy is a force at work displacing. I love in the Old Testament it says, mercy follows you all the days of your life. But it doesn't say it joins you. It knows where you are, sees where you are, and waits for you to come back. And we're going to see that just one quick second. Verse 14, he says, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Jesus Christ. It's a trustworthy statement full of, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. And yet for this reason, I found, here it is, I found the say no of God. God showed up and said, Paul, I'm not going to join you in the identity that you've accepted about yourself. Now, I want to leap to the, where I want to head here today. It's a story, it's the most popular story in all of Scripture. It's the story of what we say is the prodigal son. It's actually a story of a father, a farm, and two sons. And if you read the story, it tells you that story in that fashion. But we will focus on the prodigal son. You know it. Uh, how did the prodigal son get off the farm? Uh, it starts off in verse 11. He said, a man had two sons. This is Jesus speaking. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything, took it together, went on a journey to a distant country, and there he squandered it all on loose living. He comes to his father. It says he goes to a distant country. He attaches himself to people. Please listen. When you find yourself separated from God, there are two or three things that always happen. You begin to think things you shouldn't have ever thought, and then you said things out loud you should have never said out loud, and you never should have thought in the first place. And then you acted on the stupid stuff that you never should have thought, never should have said. You act on it, and you find yourself suddenly far away from God, attached. I love that. He attached. It's a Greek word to contemporary. means to glue. Attached to people he should have never, ever known. Now you can break this down in some practical stuff. Listen to the words of people, watch their actions, and see who the people are that they want to attach to and hang with. You'll find the influencing voices in the life. Now, the father is watching, allegedly. This father is still watching. I got I to gotta insert something here that I can't get out of my head. On Thursday, we had a funeral here, and it was for a family member of mine that lived a, a, a life just incredible a precious one a precious lady precious woman precious woman of God but she struggled with certain things throughout her life and it was a roller coaster I think of a pendulum swinging back and forth and as I prepared for the funeral I saw something in scripture I'd, I'd never seen because I I went and read what is my favorite passage or reference my favorite passage in all the Bible is John 4 because it's the only place where God in the flesh tells us what worship is the only place so it has to be significant 
anyhow, in, in that encounter with Jesus and this woman of Samaria uh, who met him at the well, uh, some things transpire and take place. Uh, they get into an exchange. He wants a drink of water, and she says, look, you're a man, I'm a woman, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. This thing's way off. Of course, if you read this story, it's another popular one. She's had five husbands. That would come out in, in a moment. And then she makes, uh, she makes um, the statement to him. He says, if only you knew who it was that you're talking to. And then she says back to him, are, 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 you, are you greater than our father? Now see, that sound, are you greater than our father Jacob? That sounds like rhetoric. Dude, because he said, I would have given you living water and you would have never thirsted again. She says, bro, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to do that? And then she says, are you greater than our fathers, Jacob? You know, who dug the well. But listen to what's sown into that. The means by which, by the way, we've written her as if she's a whore or a prostitute or this loose woman who goes from man to man, kicking them out and going for the next guy. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, the likelihood of her being able to initiate divorce was zero. She was part of a remnant group in Samaria that still lived by Mosaic code and Abrahamic influence. Now, she, they clearly claimed that. So that was the thing that ruled them. Watch that. Within this Mosaic code was called this any cause divorce. Watch this. Pay close attention because I saw something I'd never seen before Thursday morning as I was sitting praying about this funeral. I believe she, she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? I believe she's representing far more than we see at a glance because she is saying essentially that every bit of my life that I know right now has been handed down from a mosaic code that initiated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and, for, and landed squarely on me. Is there any way that you're greater than that? Everybody say greater than. The same writer of the Gospel of John would write the letters of John. And 35 years after the death of Christ, he would record a letter, 1 John chapter 3. And as he's writing there, I think there's an evolution of this encounter in the heart of John when he offers these words out of nowhere. He says, I want to assure you that even if your own heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. Please listen to me. What happens when the voice of the Father becomes the voice of my own heart? What happens when the greater than of my Father now becomes the greater than of the condemnation of my own heart? What happens when the world that I've lived in up until today has established recurring voices and the question is no longer... Well, I can't worry about, when I say my father, I mean the days, that time, that influence, the voices of my past. When the voices of the past become absolutely stamped on my heart to be the voices of the present and arguably the voices of the future, it's as if God steps up and says, I, I want to tell you, not only am I greater than your father, but I'm greater than when the voices of your father become the voice of your own heart ringing in your head every day. And you don't have to look anywhere else for condemnation. You can stand right up before the mirror and condemn your own self to death. You don't have to listen to anybody else anymore. It is so firmly entrenched on how sorry, how much a failure, how, how much of a mistake, how much of whatever you are, that your own heart reminds you every day. You don't have to look anyplace else. You can't even blame anybody anymore because you do it to yourself. There's a God that steps up and say, I'm a father of mercy that refuses to join you when your voice of your heart echoes that. This son makes his way back. He finds himself starving and eating with pigs. There's a ton of great things that have been taught and can be taught from this passage, but something happens. 
Verse 18, he says, I'll go, he said, he, verse 17, he says, he came to his senses. Verse 18 says, I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. How many of that's a pretty good start? It is. But watch these words. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Interpreted as father that I've made so many bad choices. That where I am right now is beyond the reach of the possibility of being accepted within the scope of any promise you might otherwise offer. Just out there. But then a father of mercy steps up. Watch this. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion on him. And he ran and he embraced him and kissed him. And he said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe put it on him, a ring on his hand, on sandal on his feet. Of course, you know, and you're probably sure at some point Pastor David's taught on this in great detail. I mean that seriously. He's a great teacher, preacher. I say of him all sorts of places. He can illustrate abstractions of God better than anybody I know. It just always amazes me. So I'm sure you've heard good teaching on this. But the last time through, just a few months ago, I saw something I'd never seen before is the son comes back and he says all that stuff, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father responds. I'm going to point that to you in a minute. I have in my pocket a $50 bill. Can I see that? That's a real life $50 bill. Um, inherent to that $50 bill is it has worth and intrinsic value due to what's stamped on it partially. But it has worth and intrinsic value because some higher authority has established and associated intrinsic value and worth that can't be argued, at least in the United States of America. I mean, you pull out this genuine $50 bill, if it's not counterfeit, and this one is not, and you walk up someplace and you say, and there's something on the shelf that says it's $48, and you give them this $50 bill, no one's going to look back at you ever, ever, and say, I, I'm not taking that because I really don't think that's worth it. I mean, you're right. well, dude, that's a stupid statement. Of course not. Yeah. Because of what is stamped on it intrinsically. You see, when, when Scripture says that we're made in the image of God, and there's intrinsically stamped on our soul the image of God waiting to be redeemed, that's a whole other story. There's worth there. Now, let me pick somebody out. Who is the youngest father in the room? Uh, I'm going to pick on, bless his heart, a pastor's kid. Josh, where are you? Right over there. How old are you, son? 26. Who's younger than 26? You may not volunteer because you're younger than 26. Okay, great. Are you, and you're a father younger than 26. Okay. Uh, you may be sorry you raised your hand. Okay, is anybody <laughs> younger? How, how old are you? 21. Ooh, dude, nobody's going to beat that, I don't think. <laughs> Somebody else younger than 21, where are you? A father younger than 21? Okay. Any, how old are you? Holler loud. You're 21? Okay. Wait a minute. It's down to when's your birthday? What? January 3rd. January 3rd? When's yours? How, dude, it's got to be January 1 or 2. There's no way you're going to beat that. Okay. I mean, I mean, he just pretty much said, hey, you're done. All right. And that really works out good for me because I didn't want to wait for you to walk down from the balcony anyway. Okay. All right, now you're going to be really sorry you raised your hand. Come here, boy. The, um, what's your name? 
Oh, I can't see. Collins. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's the leopard. In the Christmas program, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't see all of this business, okay? He was like four when we'd do Christmas productions, and he would put on a costume, and he was the guy I'd interview because he couldn't say else. <laughs> and he put on the leopard costume, and I'd say, what are you? And on cue, he'd say, I'm a leopard. And then I would make fun of him. Okay, great, so you're used to me humiliating you. This is nothing new. All right, wait a minute, that's a $50 bill. Uh. That is a full twist, unlike Pastor David's earlier, but with 225 pounds, I'm ashamed to say. That has been smashed and crushed. Would you still like to have that? Sure. Why? $50. No, it's stomped and crushed <laughs> and smashed. So why would you still like to have it? Okay, so I'll put that in your hand. Don't go away with my $50 yet. Go ahead and, and un unfold that. Now, what happens, um, come stand on this side because I'm right-handed and I'll show you what I'm going to do in something in a minute. Um, when the, while he's doing that, watch me, not him. When the prodigal son returns and he is now firmly convinced that his own voice and his own heart has condemned him as to his intrinsic worth and value, he was sincere when he said, I'm going to rise and go back to my father and say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But unexpectedly, he encounters, encounters Father of Mercy. Unexpectedly. Okay, now, I need you to repeat. Did you Hold on to that for a second. Just don't leave with it. The, um, um, I need you to say these words in a moment. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Practice them with me. Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called. Okay, you did great. That's great. Way better than a leopard. So he comes back. Now, I need to put my hand on your face, okay? So don't be as good. I, I, I sanitized it before I came in. The son comes back. I'm the father. He's making his way back to the father. And as he makes his way back to the father, the father sees him and he runs to him. Watch. And it says, and he embraced him. So they were already this close. I get I'm crowding your personal space. Get over it. Now, see what he just did? <laughs> If I were to turn, he's patting. That's a male res autonomic response to a, the discomfort of being too close proximity to another person. <laughs> it just happens. And typically, if you do that long enough, what, what they'll want to do next is sort of, you know, spit or something. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah. How about that football game? Okay, so here we go. Now the father's here, and he's up close. And he comes, and the father sees him and maybe pulls back for a minute. And the son speaks first, and he says the words, Father, I'm no longer real. <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Look at your Bible. He doesn't respond to the son. He doesn't talk to the son. He hasn't seen him for however long. But he says, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, I invented this part of it. Here's why. No, 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 hang with me. Because I believe he did this and he said, Hey, servant. Ah. Uh, Bring me a ring, a, a ring for the son. Bring me a son's robe and bring me a son's sandals because something's happened to this brain damaged child while he was away. He forgot who he was. He forgot that stamped on his soul, he's my son and will always be my son. And nothing can change that. 
and I refuse to join him. And I refuse, see what he said, I refuse to join you in that opinion of yourself or the identity you've accepted. I don't care how rumpled, crinkled, or stomped on you may feel, there is intrinsic value because the Father said so, it's stamped on your soul. Now, I thought I'd pick out the youngest father because they would be one most likely to need 50 bucks for a Father's Day lunch, so you can keep that. And go Don't bow your heads. Don't close your eyes and we'll pray. And then Pastor David's coming. There's the coolest thing that he's going to do. Father, today, every father here, raise your hand, by the way. Come on, every father, thanks. Lord, this uplifted hand of oath and covenant, we stand in agreement. You said we're two or three are gathered. I wish I could just clasp hands with every father that's here. And say, Lord, may they hear a father of mercy today. Every son hear a father of mercy screaming in their face saying, I refuse to join you in that identity that you've accepted about yourself. That didn't come from me and I won't say amen to it. I pray that they would hear a... Oh, the overwhelming never-ending reckless love of God. Father, I pray in the name of the living God that we would hear a father of mercy to show up in our life and now not just for every father. Lord, so many of, of us when we become fathers, the echo of our own condemnation begins to ring in our soul and we need you to show up one more time and say, God is greater when your own heart condemns you in the name of the living God. God is greater. God is greater. God is greater. Now for every person in this room, may the Father of mercy speak to them. I love you, Lord. And I praise you and I worship you. And I bless your name. Just, just... Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Yet you give yourself to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Father, I pray for your people that you would bless them and keep them and cause your face to shine on them. Be gracious unto them and lift your countenance upon them and give them peace. They're the blessed of the Lord, blessed going out and blessed coming in. And for the one or two in this room that are running back to the farm and wondered if you would meet them, I'm so glad that you crafted a word just to them today in the name of the living God. So be it. Now clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of thanks. You know, I didn't need my dad to wear a jersey 
or to even be able to throw a football professionally to change my life. Because if that was the requirement, all of us in this room would probably not be able to meet that standard of playing a sport professionally. I didn't ever, my dad's never made a million dollars. But I saw my dad set an example of leaving a lucrative career to go pastor his first church and take a family of five and made $19 a week. You know, you divide 20 by five and you get $4 a piece. I saw him teach me character. It's unbelievable because I really didn't talk to the pastor about what to preach today. But do you know that the prodigal son story was what turned my life around? I was living rebelliously on Panama City Beach. And I had that God moment where my dad and mom had put scripture in my heart and out there in the middle of chaos the story of the prodigal son come to my mind and I thought to myself I, I was always you know could remember scripture and I thought the Bible says this he come to himself and I thought what well, made him come to himself he was in a pig pen and that didn't make him come it, it wasn't something that was immediate but in this moment he came to himself and I, I've never heard the audible voice of God but I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me at that very moment and said he heard his heartbeat I'm like, what? He said, yeah, no matter where he had gone or who he had done it with and how many times he had done it, the blood of his father still pumped through his veins. His identity was still his father's son. And you don't have to be... I got the privilege this morning in first service to tell him my dad, thank you for being that man that helped shape my character. And I got to turn to Pastor Tom. See, Pastor Tom saw me when I was a, a, a part of a denomination. And when I was a part of that denomination, I was a young man that was hungry for God. And I didn't know where to turn and didn't know how to do this thing called uh, becoming a pastor. And I would call people and they, you know, they're good hearted and, and wonderful people. And the denomination is wonderful. But sometimes as you're young, you can get lost in the shuffle. And I just, I, I literally would call and say, if you've got somebody that's sitting in the back seat of a car, I'll sit in the front seat and preach to them. And he saw the desire and the passion of that young man. And I had nothing to give him. And he started mentoring me. And started allowing me to see how he does things. You don't need city gate fathers of Citygate, you don't need a jersey to identify you. I walk among giants. You are the men that I will go to war with every single day of my life. This isn't a slogan that says set the standard. We live it. You men stand in the gaps of, of identifying who your family is and you speak with words of a father, that father driven by mercy. And you even have the courage to tell even family members and children, I refuse to join you in that identity. But I will tell you, there is a God that is above us all that will speak a word through his word to you and that I will join you. I have a Matt Richard and an Alex Reale that will stand in, in the midst of a young generation and declare the truth of God's word. And, and all of a sudden you'll hear the excuses and you'll hear why I act this way or why I'm doing this. And the testimonies will come to
to the surface. And these men will stand up and say, I refuse to live that way. You are better than that. Act like you are somebody. And so men of City Gate, I stand alongside of you. Men of honor, men of courage, men of faith. You have spoken not only to your children sitting beside you, but you've spoken into a community and into a city, and we are seeing darkness retreat and the authority of God come forward. And I would ask for every man to stand that is a father in Citygate. I want you to give honor where honor is due. Here's the heroes of the faith. They don't make millions of dollars. They don't have jerseys with their names on the back of it. But I tell you one thing, if you're looking for a standard, these men are something to look to because they reflect the love and the honor of an almighty God. So will you stand up if you're near your father? Timothy, if you want to come and get close to your dad. You listen to what they have to say today because they will speak to you. We don't have to hide in another room to hear our kids speak. We want to be in the same room acknowledging who you are in Christ Jesus. And if you are far away from God today, remember I was that guy too. And I stand as a father speaking to you. Run home. He's waiting on you. He's waiting with the ring, the robe, and the shoes. You don't have to be ashamed. He never asked him to take a shower. Kissed him anyway. So would everybody in this congregation stand? Father, today I thank you for men of God. Men like my sons, David and Joshua, that are going to be speaking to their daughters letting them see a picture of what a husband's supposed to look like. Giving them a standard, setting a standard of character, passion, and faith. Father, for those that are standing that don't have their dad either with them physically, Father, we as the fathers of this church speak into their lives and declare you are the sons and daughters of the Most High, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't care where you've been and how you've got there. We care about where you're going. It's not a destination like Pastor said. It's a direction. And we are affirming the direction you're turning to right now. Father, I ask for an anointing to be placed upon the hearts and lives of our sons and daughters. Let them be the perpetuation of a, of a call, of a passion, of a desire. Father, as I have tried to live for 16 years emulating Isaiah 61 because of the man that walked in this in the, this pulpit before me. Father, I ask that when I am ready to stand on the sidelines that the men and women of this church, the generations that will follow will, will live out Isaiah 61 greater than I've been able to. Let them speak with faith. Let their eyes see miracles. Let their ears be attentive to the voice of God and let their heart be soft enough to change the world and I give you the praise the honor and the glory in Jesus name and everybody said amen let's give God and these men honor one more time go in faith enjoy your family and by all means 
reflect the character of your heavenly Father. God bless you. Have a great Father's Day.